Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! The rare joy of carbon copy screamers. What £6 million buys you in today's transfer market? The very precise rhythm of the announcement of added time. The dying art of strikers rounding the goalkeeper. The single most annoying low-key thing a fourth official does. Cameramen in players' faces. And the empty, seemingly eternal last five minutes of a half-time break. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 199 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for the adjudication panel slash the listeners MHD for October is David Walker and Nick Miller. How are you both? Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. I think it went swimmingly last time, Dave, and I'm, I'm glad we're doing it again. I, I realise some people will notice that it's in quick succession, but this is the only available slot for October. Um, I'm really happy that we're going to make this a monthly thing. So this is the October's listeners, Meza Harland Dixon. It's a great selection again. Yeah, it was a roaring success last time. Um, yeah. Went down very well with the masses. So here they are again. Giving them a voice. We're not going to give them a voice just yet because it's time for the adjudication panel. Um a few things to run through first. I want to run this one past you, just to make sure I was dead on with this. Luke Smith tweeted me with regards to Gabriel Martinelli's 58th second goal against Liverpool, uh, reported by the Daily Mail as capping off a fine display. You can't cap off a display with a goal scored in the first minute, can you? Your shaking of the heads already is reassuring me. It's a simple <laughs> no, one, it, Nick, but it, but it's, I think it's also quite important. And lots of people were replying saying, well, I mean, you know, what, what did it do then? You know, what did it do? And I said, we well, just don't have to use it. It's simple as that. You just don't have to say it capped off at a performance. Simple as that. That's a roaring start, isn't it, surely? That's a, a capping off, as I'm sure you've covered, is... Uh, a goal towards the end of the game of a uh, of a fine individual performance. Absolutely. It's, you know a no, capping off when you see it, Dave, don't you? It heralded what was to be a fine no performance. Don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> don't go for heralded. Don't go for, you know, prescient, anything like that. None of it works. Just It just happened and then he played well. That's simple as that. There's nothing. Football needs a word for it, but it hasn't got one yet. Um, maybe Susie Dent will find one. Right. I really enjoyed this from listener Paul, who was listening to uh, Charlton versus Exeter on Radio Devon. Now, this bit of commentary starts off quite surreal and then, and then ends just, just superbly. The North Sand there, James. And I've just seen, is that a full moon tonight? I think it is a full moon, isn't it? It just looks great. Just hovering above the North Sand there. 
yeah, it's a fantastic full moon in a, on a Tuesday night here in London. Do you think they're watching on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know what's out there. Or if they did, they saw a goal worthy of any planet today. And here comes another shot this time from Collins. It bounces up. To- <laughs> a goal worthy of any planet. That really re- that really capped it off, actually, for me, Dave. I, I thought it was lovely. A goal worthy of any planet. <laughs> of any of them in the whole galaxy. <laughs> um, I was going to raise this on Tuesday's uh, adjudication panel, Nick, the, the concept of a goal worthy of. I think I heard it during match of the day last weekend, sort of goal worthy of, of winning this match. I'm quite sick of goals worthy of. I think it's complete nonsense. No goal really? has to be worthy of anything. The uglier the better, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I kind of associate goals worthy, goal worthy of the occasion, like a you know a, a final or something like that. Someone scores a screamer in the FA Cup final or Champions League or whatever. But yeah, I think uh, I, I'd, I'd accept it more in that case rather than, as you say, just a winning goal in a game. Yeah, okay, I'm happy to allow showpiece events but I will not have goals considered worthy of simply winning a game a goal worthy of equalising Dave would you have that (laughs) absolutely not no no dreadful Um, also moon not a planet is it the the moon's not a planet well it's a moon moon. the the football was taking place on the earth yes and the the observer was on the moon looking down so I I mean Uh, yeah yeah good point I will will accept this one off usage because it is (laughs) absolutely lovely so the international space station zooming in on the valley might be a Charlton fan up there who knows they can see a football game from the international (laughs) space station get your hubble out for the lads right um, (laughs) before we get into Mesut Highland Dicks um, it's time for for my sins corner because we're on a real roll with this you two have so finely tuned to the art of for my sinsing and so I want to um, unleash this effort from Pointless on BBC One last week. Um, just to recap on the rules, because some people, like John Ashley, need them clarified. Uh, John, Nick, thought that you you technically and morally won For My Sins the other day because your For My Sins was closer to the actual uttering of For My Sins. I had to, had to point out to John Ashley that Dave got there first and it was so clearly and definitively for that moment of the clip. Uh, he didn't. He didn't go too early. I couldn't possibly have been a for my sins for any yeah. other part of the clip. So um, we're not trying. We're not trying to overlay our for my sins with the for my sins. We are trying to predict the for my sins. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, predicting, I, not timing. I, I'd really love to kick up an undignified um, stink about how I've been cheated out of this, but yeah, it was a fair cop. Yep. Dave beat me to, to it by mere second. Good for you. Uh, Good for am you. I, in, in, in a similar vein to the Football Clichés quiz, which will be returning in a few weeks' time, mm. um, Michael Cox, the champion of that particular yes. uh, title. Um, am I the champion? Is it a champion situation? Or what's the... I mean, possession? I, I of... don't consider it such a, a grand thing. Um yeah, it's just like winner stays on on a right, game okay. of table tennis or something like that. It's mm. it's not a big deal. Don't, don't got to start bragging about it in your wider life. That's all I would say. <laughs> right. Imagine explaining that. Anyway, um, enough preamble. It's time for For My Sins Corner. Let's do it. But before mm-hmm. we get an answer from you, tell us a bit more about Drew. So, like that, I'm a copywriter, mm. um, also a massive sports fan, and a long-suffering Arsenal fan. Suffering a bit less now, though, at time of filming. Yeah, just, you know, the glory days, long yeah. ago. I was once in a cab, this cab driver who was talking about football, and I asked him who he supported. He said, yeah, I support Spurs. For my and sins. he said, for my sins. I, <gasps> I laughed, thinking, well, yeah. And uh, he started crying. Wow. <laughs> a twist. <laughs>
Superb from Nick. Justified. A, a call worthy of winning any For My Sins corner. Um, well done. No, yeah. I, I, I give you that. I, I didn't see that coming because I was surprised because it was straight out the gate into the football chat with the contestant, which, and I, I, yeah, I couldn't, I didn't see uh, Zander being the man who did the For My Sinsing, but yeah, well done. Yeah. I had to, um, I, I, you, you had, to, there's a, a degree of nerve holding because obviously you, you were aware this was going to be more quick fire than, than Ken Bruce, but I'm delighted with how I played that game. You did. I, I think, I, I think really announcing yourself on the global For My Sin stage with that performance. It's capped off a fine performance for me. So one, one point just to bring up. Does it count if you're retelling a story? It's yes, not well, it's not quite it's not quite a traditional For My Sins, is it? Look, it's, I took I took my defeat in good spirit in the last edition and I think you need to do so in this one as well. So Nothing against you, Nick. More more of an issue with the source material. <laughs> oh, I'm sure John Ashley will have something to say about this and all the other For My Sins corner pedants, the people who didn't make the rules and had never even considered the concept until I brought it to their ears. Right, um enough of all that nonsense. It's time for Mesa Holland Dix with you, the listeners, for October. Kicking off our first love, this is from Yoni Gordon Teller. My football love is the same player scoring two screamers of an almost identical nature in the same game. I discovered I loved this when Laurent Robert did it for Newcastle against Spurs in December 2003, and it's only enhanced by the mix of smugness and surprise on the goalscorer's face when they realise what has happened. At first, Dave, I thought this is a this is a great shout. Uh, there, there are going to be so many examples of this that we can enjoy. You know, loads of similarly carbon copy wonder goals in the same game by the same player. It's the sort of thing my brain could easily come up with three incident examples of, but I can't think of any at all. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. I know. The mind really plays tricks with this, Nick. Uh, I thought... I thought I was thinking of Mario Stanich's debut for Chelsea. I thought he might have hit identical volleys. No, one was a header. That completely played with mine. I thought Paolo Di Canio did it for West Ham against Chelsea in the early 2000s. That didn't happen either. Um, I'm a bit stumped by this. Maybe Gareth Bale versus Inter, but were they wonder goals or just simply carbon copies? All three were like left-footed rifles into the bottom right corner, right? Well, yeah, I don't think, strictly speaking, the Gareth Bale goals against Inter Milan were wonder goals, but they sort of have taken on that mantle. Like, that they're sort of... It was the breakthrough of performance. It was the, the, the occasion, a goal worth, very much worth the, worthy of the occasion. Yeah, it feels like athleticism is never really kind of entered into the equation of wonder goals. It's either sort of technique of strike. But that's a, mm. that's a, that's a debate for another time. Um, it wasn't quite as triumphant as the Laurent Robert example we've been given here. Um, but let's assess this example, Dave, seeing as it's the only one we've got. Now, the goals are similar-ish. One's, one's a kind of thumping first-time volley uh, with, with Laurent Robert's famed left foot. The other one is just a, simply a screamer from the left-hand side of the pitch. So they're not really identical. But what tell you what is very similar is the commentary. Now the shot comes in from Robert. Oh! Now Robert again. Shoots. Right. <laughs> so they get roughly the same kind of, oh, Nick. So that's fine, isn't it? That basically um, seals the deal as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, this, this, the second one was slightly more guttural, I think, the second mm. O. I sort of had planted it in my head that they, they were two identical goals as well. Yeah. Not he, identical. No, they're not. No, they? but they're One's not, a yeah. volley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Just but, two very, very good goals, which I think... It's probably what you, what uh, Yoni Gordon is really aiming for here. They don't have to be identical because you're completely narrowing the field. So, and uh, that, yeah, that, which is good. That that 
widens our parameters here, which now means I can cite the example that came to mind initially. Yeah. And that was Kevin De Bruyne at the Emirates two seasons ago. I think in the season that went on to become the lockdown one, so there were 19-20 season, he nearly, and he nearly scored a third, and they were all great finishes and he hit the third and he hit the post it would have been an amazing hat trick that is yeah that's my most recent example that i but can think I'm, of nick i'm convinced that this phenomenon exists i mean i'm sure people are going to send loads in examples um of this sort of thing happening but as a footballing spectacle i think it's i think it's really nice this is the idea of it this is kind of well he's done it once and the other team just have no idea how to deal with it so he's just done it again absolutely brilliant i'll tell you what another little technical issue here free kicks don't count cheating not having sort of a couple of free kicks pinged into the same top corner. Don't care. Doesn't care. I, yeah, I, I, I thought of this as well. Uh, Leo Messi's done this a couple of times where he's uh, pinged in a couple of free kicks into the, roughly the same position. And yeah, I agree. It, it, it is sort of cheating. When we were uh, we were discussing this uh, yesterday, you said, you, I, I said, I'll try and think of an example. You said Ian Wone must have done it. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think he did, but I, I did sort of reach back into my Forest supporting childhood, and Stan Collymore had a, had one game quite early on in his Forest career, where um, he did that he did that thing where when there's like a, 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 a phenomenon of a player who's just who's not many people know much about yet, and defenders have absolutely no idea hmm. how to deal with them, like. Um, like Roberto Ayala with Michael Owen in yeah. the 98 World Cup, just hadn't got a clue. <laughs> the ludicrously deep Roberto Ayala. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But the West Brom defense did this with Stan Collymore. It was a little bit. It, it, he's Collymore scored two goals where he, he was running through the West Brom defense, mm. and they all look like kids when an adult joins in a, a, a playground game or something like that just kind of or everyone all these seemingly little boys running around in different directions being completely unable to stop what's happening in front of them so as much as I would love if Ian Wayne to have to have done it um, I don't think he did but Stan Collymore did yeah I mean I could I would happily have the rest of this podcast dedicated to players we think may have scored identical wonder goals in the same game <laughs> Ian Wayne would be right at the top of that list I'm sure they exist um, please do send me examples of players scoring identical wonder goals in the same game because I'm convinced that this phenomenon is bigger than our collective brains can imagine. The next love comes from Niall Murta and I really like this one. It's a very precise valuation. My footballing love is a £6 million player. Now, if a player is about to go out of contract in the Premier League, often you can snap him up for £6 million in the January window. That's always quite an exciting piece of business. But in the Championship, it's never the most expensive fee you pay, but it's a price that shows you're firmly in the promotion hunt. The most £6 million player, in my opinion, Austrian goal machine, Andreas Weiman. I think he's pitched this really well, Nick. I mean, we are we are in it deep into an era of overinflated transfer fees. And we've talked about the desensitisation to mammoth transfer fees on this podcast before. But £6 million still should be a significant amount of money to spend on a football player. And I think he's pitched this well. £6 million is what £2.5 million used to be. It's still a solid amount. Not something you just throw away, but it's still a certain, a very specific type of player, I think. And uh, Andreas Weiman is a good shout to kind of yardstick this, I think. Yeah, I think he, it, Weiman's a good shout because I think £6 million is the, the perfect price for the uh, too good for the Championship, not quite good enough for the, for yes, the Premier League striker. Yes. 
So I think Lewis Graben cost six million pounds last time when when Forrest bought him a few years ago. Um, I imagine Cameron Jerome has cost six, six million pounds at some point. <laughs> uh, we'll get into some specific examples in a minute. Um, Dave, who feels very six million poundsy to you these days? Who do you think, if you had six million pounds in your pocket, who are you snapping up? I, I find it quite difficult actually to sort of keep up with sort of benchmarking mm. in the in the transfer market yeah. because and I, I think this is probably a thing like your favourite World Cup is the one that you watched when you were 12 or whatever right. and like in my head when I first started becoming aware of like transfer fees and stuff it was like when Watford were a, a, you know the archetypal selling club in the championship they would have a striker who scored 20 goals and he would be sold no questions asked, and it would be like Heide Helgson going for like three million, or Danny Graham going for three and a half million. So, yeah. it's, and that and that seemed like a really good sum of money to get. That was a really big deal for us, and so so six million to me still sort of in one sense feels like quite a lot of money. But then on the flip side, you see like. I don't know, Wolf, didn't Wolves sign, uh, who was that defender? Nathan Collins from Burnley for like £20 million. Pounds That's the going summer. right for centre-half. And, 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 and it just sort of, when I see it initially, it sort of fries my brain a little bit. Mm. And I think, what, £20 million for him? Yeah. <laughs> but then you sort of think, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, the top end is that and it drags it all up. So it, was, it is all a bit mad. But it's like, a very I've good just, season so far, actually, Dave. I'll have you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've just solid. had a look on on the uh, sort of done deals page for like the most recent transfer window mm. and Southampton Southampton signed Juan Larios for six million pounds from Manchester City yeah it feels quite that six million okay this is a very specific genre of the six million pound player it's the kind of snapping up from a big club they don't really need him anymore but Still, clearly, a bit of potential yeah. there. Like That's B- a sort Billy, of Gil- Billy Gilmore was seven and a half million. Yeah, so that's yeah. sort of similarish sort of price bracket. And I think, but as Niall correctly said, it does it does complete the complexion completely changes if you are yeah if you're signing a player for six million in the championship. That is that's that's a statement. I mm. think. Well, yeah, you're I, maybe I, not. It's, you're, you're you're getting into statement territory, but you could possibly spend a bit more money at the top end of the championship. Yeah, but, to pick, yeah. To pick up on Niall's point about. A, a six million deal kind of signaling ambition. It, that really can only be the case in the championship. Only one player moved for six million pounds in the championship. That was John Swift from Reading to West Brom. That's kind of six million pound territory. Mm. I mean, six million pounds really is the kind of upper limit you can really be spending um, these days in the championship to kind of make a statement. Uh, Nick, over in the Premier League, things get a little bit more underwhelming. Cameron Carter Vickers from Spurs to Celtic for six point three. Million again. It's kind of a kind of kickstarty career type of fee, isn't it? It also feels like that. That was uh, I like that example because six million also feels like the sort of upper limit for Scotland. Like yes. the the Scottish transfer record is still Tori Andre Flo from about twenty years ago, mm. which is about twelve million pounds. So in these straightened times, six million pounds feels like a, a, a bit of a statement for Rangers or Celtic. In the Premier League, it feels like a kind of. It's it's a whisper it quietly transfer like oh, right. Joe Joe Aribo right went from Rangers to Southampton for um, for six million so it feels like a kind of whisper it quietly but at six million pounds Joe Aribo could be a really good pickup for Southampton <laughs> I was gonna say pickup quite a smart pickup <laughs> yeah exactly yeah shrewd what's it's, the maximum amount of money a shrewd transfer can be I mean I suppose it could be anywhere anything up to. 25 million if you're getting someone really on the 
on the relative cheap. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. It depends on the context of the player, where they're coming from, what the Mm. sort of, if there's any sort of buyout clauses and all that nonsense. Because I've seen, I think I've seen Haaland described in some quarters as like, tell you what, I mean, that's, (laughs) Manchester City really got him for a steal there. I mean, what was it like, was it? 17 million? It's the most labyrinthine transfer I've ever seen. Nobody knows how much Erling Haaland costs. It's very important not to definitively say he costs so much because you will get someone saying, "Oh well, actually, if you factor in the," and you've got so, to do you got to do amortization these days. So really, I mean, it's all you, about the amortization. You got to you got to factor in the 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 fee to his dad and yeah. the agency and all this. So actually, it wasn't that cheap. Mm. <laughs> and the upkeep of the robotics inside him, of course. Um, yeah, the WD forty. You got to factor that in as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, despite all this meandering chat about six million poundy players, um, I still feel like Lewis Graben out there with Al Ahly in uh, Saudi Arabia is still still has another six million pound move in him. Where's he going though? Where's he going? Back to Norwich? Bournemouth. He's, he's, I bet he's already been. At, he has already been to Norwich as well. Yeah, back to Bournemouth. That'd be fine. That would be just fine. Next up, a familiar voice for some of you. Here's Matt Davis-Adams, host of the Athletics Chelsea podcast, straight out of Cobham. Hey guys, one of the things that I love about football is the announcement for how much stoppage time there's going to be when done using the correct vernacular cadence and timber. It should sound like this. The fourth official has indicated there will be a minimum of four minutes added time. Four minutes. If you can guess the correct number of minutes, even better. Either way, it sounds beautiful. Now, Dave... Matt's nailed this. He's nailed the rhythm as he as he outlined first. I, I wanted a little bit more gusto from him actually. I wanted I wanted some real kind of oomph from it. But he's got he's nailed the time moving it absolutely right to the point where I wonder if this is like a directive from the authorities, Dave, about how stadium announcers should announce the uh, amount yeah. of added time. I've not thought about that actually. I do like it when sometimes there's a very slight dramatic pause. If it's like Where? a big number, so you might get the fourth official has indicated there'll be a minimum of seven minutes <laughs> added time. I don't think the pause is is um, is sanctioned by the top authorities. You, you can't no. be pausing for dramatic effect. So, yeah. Sort of thing the, the Manchester guy, City yeah, yeah, yeah. Would yeah, He's do. doing it like Dermot O'Leary on <laughs> X Factor, yeah. pausing for 30 seconds. When thinking about this in my head, and once again, Matt has absolutely nailed the rhythm of this. And I was trying to think, I don't think many voices of stadium announcers are are familiar to me, except maybe the Anfield or Goodison ones. I can't remember which one it is, but that, that seems to me to scream, kind of. The guy at Anfield's been doing it for like 50 years or something. Mm. I'm sure we've done a piece with him. where He's, he's got such a stadium announcer yeah. voice. Mm. It's perfect. The fourth official has indicated there will be a minimum of four minutes added time. Four minutes. It's just the right, just the right, because he's got some good bass to his voice, isn't it? Yeah. Is there a difference with the cadence used in the first half to announce that at a time? I mean, it feels less dramatic, but I don't know. I'm not sure if there is a the difference in cadence. No, it's got a similar vibe, but I would say that the stadium announcer is definitely aware of the of the context, which which would make me think that the second half one is definitely delivered with a little bit more like. Mm. Mm. So it's like five. It's the big, it's the big moment. It's the big yeah. moment for them. Oh, it's huge because you know you're going to get a. Yeah. Oh, what? Well, this is this is what what what's what's the Where'd number? Where'd you get of, that from? Yeah. Well, but what's the number of minutes where there's no reaction? Because it feels like I don't know. I think it feels like three. Because one or two doesn't feels like there's not enough. 
and that but oh anything over from four and above is very much where's he got that from and I, I know it kind of depends on you know whether the the home team is uh, is in front or whatever but it just feels like there's always a reaction to it whether it's too much or too little I once drew up a graph of uh, injury time minutes uh, against incredulity of sound in reaction and I can tell you it really does leap mm. from four to five sounds right. like something that is absolutely ripe to be recycled for your your new Friday column today. <laughs> <laughs> already been in the book so uh, yeah no one's checking yeah can't plagiarise yourself can you um <laughs> Well, yeah, you can actually. Anyway, um, yeah, but yeah, no complaints with the timing of that. Do you want a little bit more oomph, Matt, next time, uh, if possible? Right, Andrew Brown is next up. Um, I never thought of this as a dying art, but now I really do think it is. David Attenborough needs to get on the case. My football love is when forwards, and specifically number nines, score one-on-ones by taking it around the keeper. I really associate with the 90s and the early noughties, the likes of Ronaldo, young Michael Owen, and other speedy strikers. When they slip through on goal, bearing down on the keeper, they do a step over or a shimmy, sit the keeper down and then slip the ball into an empty net. I feel like we don't see very much of it at all these days. And for me, this is what I want to see from Haaland to take this game to the next level. <laughs> now, it's a really interesting one, Nick. And before we get into the potential nuts and bolts of this, do you agree? Do you think that taking the ball round the goalkeeper is a dying art? I'm inclined to say yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there, I'm sure if you talk to the right people, there is some kind of reason for it. I think it's a fascinating subject. I think we, data should be used to, to analyse this because I'm convinced it's the case. But yeah, it's definitely one of those things that I hadn't really considered or hadn't really thought hmm, what, what, whatever happened to taking it around the goalkeeper yeah. but now now Andrew's brought it up I, I can't think of a recent example Dave can I you think, think of a single reason why this might be the case is it I mean it's, it is more risky I think isn't it it's quite it, and you, you are at risk of making yourself look silly mm. if you've got a one-on-one opportunity and you decide to take, the, take it around the keeper and the keeper just stops the ball at your feet or God forbid, you go around the keeper and you miss, which is what um, actually what Watford's Yasser Aspria did in the yeah. recent home game against Swansea. Took it around the keeper very skillfully and sort of fluffed the finish, and a defender cleared it off the line. But nineties um, name, nineties approach, exactly, so, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. But um, this is something that Dotton Adebayo brought up when he did his Mesut Haaland dicks when he was talking about Ronaldo. Brazilian Ronaldo and his ability to step up, you know, use the step over to take the ball around the keeper, which is I a sort just of. You just don't see that goal at all anymore. It's not, it wasn't don't. outlandish. I mean, it's, it's been done a lot, but I mean, I just I can't remember the last time I saw it happen. The other thing that may, maybe we don't, why we don't see this anymore is that when strikers are in that scenario and they decide to try and take it around the keeper, is actually their instinct is to leave the leg in and get fouled for the <laughs> penalty? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, has finishing got better, Nick? I mean, I mean, I, I don't think it's up for debate that trying to slot it past the keeper is a more straightforward way of doing this. Uh, not that I'm suggesting that players in the past were over-engineering the situation either. So maybe it's just like finishing's just got better, pitches are better, and it's easier to slide the ball past the goalkeeper. Have goalkeepers maybe. got better as well? Because the goalkeepers used to sell themselves more readily. Yeah, a nice subgenre of this was. Uh, you kind of, I think you kind of think of the classic one is. You, the striker goes around the keeper who tries to kind of clamber after it with uh, <laughs> yeah, with like their scamming. hands. Yeah, yeah, they're, like they're kind of crawling along the floor, like, <laughs> like early man. To, yeah, like they pretend <laughs> to be a dog or something. But 
a, a nice sub genre of it is when the the striker sells the keeper and the keeper goes the wrong way. Mm. He just kind of fall, you know, falls over to the left as Ronaldo yeah. goes round to the to the right. Yeah, kind of thing. But it, it, it's maybe you know, you're kind of right that it's a sort of being considered as a, a very like high risk but high tariff maneuver because yeah, Fernando Torres had two. So that that miss against Manchester United, where he missed an open goal, quite mm. I think it was quite early on in his Chelsea career. That's that he took it around the goalkeeper after that, and th- and then of course the 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 one in the in Barcelona, yeah, where he took it around the goalkeeper. And even watching the, it know. back now, you think oh, I don't trust him. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't trust him to do it. You know, yeah. I wouldn't back him at that moment. So, but yeah, um, Dave. All right, you're thrown goal, and you've you've committed yourself to taking it around the goalkeeper. What is your what's your go to technique? In your head, I would like to drop a shoulder. You know, not no stepovers. I just want to almost faint, faint that I am going to maybe dink it, but then you just do a little touch around the keeper and then. What? So home. where are you going, left or right? I can are imagine you going with like, your instep or outside. I'm going. I'm taking it round the keeper with the outside of my right boot. Okay. You see, important to get then, the touch right. That's you yeah. Got to control the angle. And I, that that's something I can remember as. Um, as the example said, I can remember Michael Owen doing that quite mm. a bit. I think I think it, I, it does. It feels Michael Owen-y to me. Yeah, it does feel quite Michael Owen-y. especially if you're feeling particularly ambitious, Nick. You could attempt the uh, the run around move, we, the Pele run around move, which has its own Wikipedia page. Sort of nick it one side, or even just let the ball go and then run around the other. But <laughs> you wouldn't see that these days, would you? Nonsense. No, far too far too flamboyant. I, uh, another subgenre I quite like is when. It looks like the striker has taken the ball too far, and the angle is too tight, and then he sort of gets it in from from the tightest of angles. Yeah, I'm think I'm thinking Mark Hughes in the '91 Cup Winners' Cup final. I suppose there are situations that you do kind of get these situations where the ball's running through in the sort of channel, and the keeper's coming out, and the player nicks it past him, and then converts from a narrow angle. That's not taking around the keeper, is it? We can't have that. It's not the same. It's not, it's not the, the same. same. Mm. It's beating them to the ball and then scoring from a narrow angle. It's not really going round them. It's not by design. It's just like that was the only way to do it. Mm. Mm. I, I'm convinced of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how on earth I'm going to get the data to prove it, but um, I bloody well. Another will. big, another big long Y Scout session coming yeah. up for you. <laughs> Looking forward to that. <laughs> right. Thanks, Andrew Brown. Excellent stuff. The final love for this one is from Connor Whitley. My fascination with football is whenever a player is on the fringes of their team and goes out on loan, they are always described as at the age where they need to play games no matter how old they are. They're in their teens or their early 20s. They have to go and get the experience. If they're in their mid or their late 20s or at their peak, they can't waste it. And if they're in their 30s, there's no point in being on the bench at that age. This is a very good point, Dave. Mm. Um, this is a kind of... The kind of words he offers here are kind of close cousin from uh, of when a player sees, well, I need to be playing regular football at this stage of my career. And I always think, at what stage of football do you not need to be? Because, I mean, especially these days, youngsters are knocking on the door demanding first-team football. Um, is there any particular age where you think it wouldn't apply? No, I think all of those examples are completely spot on. I, of, of all of them, the least one, I suppose, is the peak years, just because we probably don't hear that much because... Is te- the situations tend to have been sorted out by that point. Yeah. They will have, they will have left. They will have found. They will have made sure that they found a secure club by their peak years. But but nevertheless, it, the example still would make sense. Um, and it, yeah, it does. It's a great point. 
Um, I guess, Dave, you kind of also hear it from players coming back from injury and they're not back in the team yet and they just need to go somewhere to get some games under their belt when it, you know, get 30 or 40 games somewhere. Um, I mean, it's all, I mean, it's all fairly logical, very healthy thing for a professional footballer to want to play football. So maybe that's why, maybe that's why it applies universally. Mm, Interesting one from Connor Whitley. Right. If you want to scream your loves and hates of football directly at our human faces. You can see us at London's Earth on the 8th of November, Manchester's New Century Hall on the 15th of November, or Dublin's Liberty Hall Theatre on the 16th of November. If you want tickets for that, just go to myticket.co.uk or just Google Football Clichés Live. Tickets are going like actual hotcakes now, Dave. So, um, like, like actual hotcakes? Yes, they are going. Brilliant. Fantastic. So, Get them while you can. Get them while indeed you can. Would you like to be the fountain of football knowledge within your friendship group, either down the pub or in the group chat? Because if so, the Athletic Football Tactics podcast is surely the podcast for you. I'm Ali Maxwell, and every week the Athletics Tactics guru, Michael Cox, its data whiz, Mark Kerry, and myself take a tactical deep dive into the week's biggest talking points. This week we'll be assessing the ever-changing role of the modern number nine and wondering if it's having a renaissance and if so, how Erling Haaland, Darwin Nunez and Gabriel Jesus' big summer moves have shaped that conversation. We're also taking a look at Manchester City against Liverpool and asking if this is still the biggest fixture that the Premier League has to offer or not. Make sure to check out our back catalogue too. Three years worth of episodes featuring more nostalgic lookbacks at iconic teams and seasons from yesteryear like Carlo Ancelotti's Christmas tree formation at AC Milan or Mesut Ozil's Arsenal legacy. It's good fun and the experts bring a ton of insight. So join us. Just search for the Athletic Football Tactics podcast wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow and subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Rexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, welcome back to Mesut Harland Dicks with you, the listeners for October. Let's get into the hates now. Some lovely selections here. First one comes from Stuart Levy. What annoys me is the concept of minutes. So, for example, you hear people say last season player X played a thousand minutes or player Y is on a 400 minute goal drought. You know what? What do these actually mean? Just tell me he's on an eight game goal drought or last year he played 10 matches. I don't want to have to be always dividing everything by 90 minutes in my head. I feel like there's a potential here, Nick, for us to get a very proper football man about this. This does sound slightly like the sort of thing that Keyes and Gray would get annoyed about on a, on a quiet Sunday afternoon. They're measuring it in minutes, Andy. Minutes. It, it, it- yeah, it, it feels it feels more like the kind of thing that uh, one of them would like at half time of a really like a really exciting game. They would just go off on this for for no particular reason. <laughs> Though and you should you should be talking about the the many exciting moments in that game, but they're they're going on about minutes. I, I confess I can't I can't get too annoyed about this. I'm not really sure what the what the issue is. It's not Persuade that it's, me. It's not that it's annoying. Dave, I think it's just that the, um, after a certain point, it, you, you start to not be able to really get the scale of this sort of thing mm. about whether it is bad that that player hasn't scored for that long. I, but I will make an exception for collective. Um, I will make an exception for the length of time that a team hasn't conceded a goal for. If it goes into like 10 hours, that to me is emphatic. I can't do the maths on it particularly quickly. But it is, it's evocative. If a team hasn't yeah. scored for 10 hours, I'm like, wow, that's a shitload of time. <laughs> exactly. That's the, it's always clean sheets, isn't it? Half a day. It's always like Pete Petacek has, has, has equaled the record set mm. by David James and not conceded a goal for mm. 11 hours, 27 minutes and 46 seconds or whatever it may be. And that's just sort of, does that sound more impressive than, what is that in games? Like, is it 11 games or whatever it is? <laughs> I can't do the math. We just look stupid. We look utterly stupid here. We've been we've been completely uh, duped by this one just to make ourselves look utterly ridiculous. Um, but then also on the flip side, so, so that's an example where people will use minutes and hours to emphasise the impressiveness of a particular achievement. But then where the other side where you hear it quite a lot now, and it takes my brain a few seconds to sort of tune in to whether that's a good or a bad thing, is when, for example, on like the tactics podcast that we have, when people are talking about, oh, well, he only played a 1,000 minutes last season, so that's a small sample size. And I'm like, 1,000 minutes? How many? Oh, yeah, that's, what is that? It's probably only 10 games or something. Yeah. Mm. Like, but, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to pin down here, Nick, is where we draw the line with this sort of stuff. But what if a player makes kind of like... Um, Four kind of regulation appearances from the substitutes bench. Can we then say he's well? He's he's had two hours this season to uh, to impress <laughs> manager X. That wouldn't work at all. I can't have that. I mean, do you think that there are like appearance bonuses are sort of measured on this these days Could as well? Be. Like yeah, you know, you got it, it once you're hitting a certain number of minutes, then you your bonuses start kicking in. Uh, instead of the classic old, just if you're on the pitch, you get your, your appearance bonus. Mm. Uh, one thing I do disagree with with Stuart here, Dave, is that you know if you start going into sort of starts and sub appearances, it's all a bit clunky, isn't it? Maybe minutes just does the job. What about per ninety? How do you feel about per ninety? <laughs> can be very convenient stat, can't it? Exactly. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't necessarily mind it, but I, no, but I, 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 I am. I do. I think I do agree with Stuart 
really. I, I, I prefer it. I prefer a nice goals and games starts all that stuff i prefer that to minutes fine M- minutes has also become the sort of a, a a kind of slightly amorphous concept that kind of ties in with the the going out on loan thing you go out on loan to get minutes under your belt get minutes you just need uh, oh. it's great i actually do when the players just say, i just need minutes just yeah. need minutes wow hours yeah. get some hours somewhere <laughs> That's Get some more. games. It's better, yeah. <laughs> Let's just play some football, come on. <laughs> uh, lovely. Right, next up from the delightfully named Ricky Kitchen, who uh, amazingly is, isn't is even the most keysy named person on Mesa Island Dicks this time. He says, fourth officials standing in front of substitutes, stopping them from entering the field until the very moment the player they are replacing has left the pitch. Do they think if they let them on, a team will play with 12? It is, I mean, I, I hesitate, David Walker, to call fourth officials jobsworths. <laughs> but, it, but if we were to level that criticism at any stage, it is the little arm across a midriff of a player saying, you can't come on yet. It's pathetic. It is pathetic. It is. It, it, exactly. It, it, what, why not let them just run on cross paths as they on and off the pitch? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's yeah. It's annoying, it's, to, it's, yeah. It's annoying to look at, Nick, to see that little human barrier being made, a little bit like a car park barrier. Saying no, not yet. But can you imagine? Can you imagine like as as a really sort of substitute, really desperate to get on and change the game, just feeling that that firm forearm against your stomach? That must be it's, so annoying. It's it's very sort of provincial bouncer behaviour, isn't it? <laughs> it's also it, it's happened to, happened to, bizarrely happened to me a couple of times in America when right. people if you try and cross the road when the the man isn't green when it's clearly like it's clear you can do that a couple of times people have genuinely gone whoa 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 stop Whoa! It. <laughs> like fourth officials yeah st- yeah like they're they're off off duty fourth officials yeah stopping me some someone <laughs> genuinely did once say jaywalking's a crime you know wow they've got a fourth <laughs> official on every street corner in america <laughs> Exactly. Well, the, yeah. the best thing is, is when the man does turn green, they tap you on the bum and send you off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on you go. Well, Little well, joke first, and on you go. <laughs> You're rubbish at crossing roads, aren't you? Yeah. Checks <laughs> check checks the studs on my trainers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Ricky Kitchen's bang on with this, Dave. It is the fundamentally most silly little thing that referees slash wider officials do. I, I would agree with that. I think there are other other examples of them potentially sort of being a bit jobsworthy. And one that I often notice is sometimes if a ball has gone out for a throw-in and it's, it's like right at the linesman's feet, it's almost come to a stop, they just will not nudge it back to the player like what they'll wait they just they just won't they will not touch the ball at any point even if the li- like, they'll, they'll sometimes get out of the way of it and it will go over you know it will go off the pitch and it will take a lot longer they could have just just stop it that is that's weird just stop the ball mm. I mean I mean I, I know they have a lot on their plate Nick with impartiality and you know accusations of bias and where they're born and all this nonsense but just stop it with the, stop the ball with your foot mate <laughs> it's fine if it- it feels like it's one of those kind of health and safety things. It's like, well, I can't, I can't touch the ball, mate. What, what if you thought it was going to run? Yeah. And I stop it, and then you stop and you pull your hamstring. You're going to sue me, aren't you? Come on. Yeah, well, it's not my fault. Not my that, fault. That isn't as outlandish as you might think. Um, but I, I definitely, there's, you know, they've got to be consistent. Well, you stopped it for them, but you didn't stop it for us, yeah. did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Imagine that's most it would quickly descend into anarchy. But when you see it with your eyes, it does. You just, it's like, come, come on. You can imagine. 
imagine a manager actually getting angry with us. Oh, I, I don't want to say too much, and I don't like to speak about referees, but you know, he did put the he, he did trap it quite nicely as well. Actually, not bad skills actually, <laughs> but uh, but no, seriously. Uh, anyway, but yeah. Good, good observations from Ricky Kitchen there. The third hatred this time round is from George Hall. One of my hates is over-the-top fan endearment. During the COVID period, you could set your watch to when the commentators sounded obliged to draw. Well, as much as we're enjoying this here, it's nothing without the fans in the ground. Dramatic, we understand it's your game vibe of adverts and trailers. And players or managers on autopilot say that the fans were amazing, regardless if the fans were actually silent or quite abusive. So this is a, this is about kind of over romanticization of football fans. Now, Nick, I think there are layers of acceptability to this. The the most acceptable um, example is was during lockdown when we th- when we were talking about how how sad it was that fans weren't there because games were rubbish as spectacles and that was absolutely fine and it was it was it was a reminder of how important um, thirty thousand people were to the the spectacle of a football game. That's absolutely fine. The middle layer, as George identifies, is when players and managers kind of make that kind of autopilot reference to fans after games, which, which is just becoming more and more insincere, isn't it? Yeah, has this been cheapened by the kind of knee-jerk post-match social media post? Great fans didn't get the result we wanted, but we move we move on kind of yeah. thing. You know, bicep emoji, bicep emoji. Or, and it, it often feels like... it. Managers will 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 often say it in their post match press conferences, and it feels like there is often a a question, often from a sort of local journalist who just sort of feels a bit sorry for the the manager who's lost the game, mm. and they said, well, it's like the, the 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 question is, well, the team were dog shit, but what about the fans? Well, I know and it was just magnificent as always, weren't they? I mean, they they never give up, but I mean, it's not unheard of, Nick, for managers. They were screaming sacked in the morning yeah. ten minutes ago. <laughs> well, I mean, we say this. I mean, I guess it isn't you know blanket praise from managers to fans, Dave. There, we do. There is seems to be increasingly amount of kind of snark between managers and mm. sets of fans these days. Managers are definitely getting braver at calling out fan bases. Well, you know, remiss of me to go back to Watford again, but there Do we it. are. Um, Roy Hodgson had a very tetchy relationship with the Watford fans during yes. his brief spell in charge last season. Because I think he was asked, Nick, in, in a few press conferences and interviews about, you know, have you got any messages for the fans or, you know, and he was basically like, well, not really. <laughs> No, um, was, I'm, was it, I'm just was, here to do my job, and I'm going to do it. And I don't really—I'm not going to pander to the fans. I don't really care what they've got to, to got to say. And obviously, that that went down like a sack of spuds. And then to to compound it all, so we we're losing games, and there was all this sort of slight kind of unease between Hodgson and the fan base. Anyway, in the game, Watford were relegated last season, yep. confirmed at Selhurst Park. This was great. He he went. He did a lap of honour around the three <laughs> sides of the ground where the Crystal Palace fans were, said goodbye to them because he hadn't had the chance in lockdown and didn't walk over to the Watford fans <laughs> at all. They were furious. After the match, Roy Hodgson said the away fans were unfortunately a bit too far away. <laughs> that, honestly, that is an all-time Premier League quote for me. It's, it's so Hodgson as well. There's a hint of knowingness about it, but un- fundamentally it's underlined by I don't give a shit what you think. Yeah, I mean, was was the whole th- was the whole presumably the whole thing was underpinned by look. I know I'm not going to be here in a couple of months. You know I'm not going to be here a couple of months. Yeah. So fuck you. Yeah, basically, I, that's yeah. absolutely fine. I get that. Mm. There's no point in trying to construct this kind of fake relationship with fans when you're not going to be around to endure them any longer. I agree, but also like just going back to the original sort of point of this this selection. I, I sort of I, I 
I'm I'm on board with the spirit of it, I think. And I think a close cousin of it is language that you get around the EFL, the football right. league. It's always it's even the EFL themselves. It's always real football for real fans. Yeah. Proper football, proper fans. Exactly. It's like, it's like what what is does that even mean? Well this this takes us into the most unacceptable layer of overdone fan endearment, which is basically marketing speak. Um, lazy, football-adjacent marketing speak that really doesn't know any better than to just to kind of evoke vague concepts of fandom, which I think is just really shit and quite, I mean, quite patronising to actual football fans for yeah. a start, but also just really lazy and rubbish. It's like, ugh, ooh, you love your club, don't you? You love them. You, we love them as much as you do. We love window cleaning just as much as you love your club. Oh, Why is Richard Keys shit. voicing this advert? <laughs> the times are hard for the. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's that sounded like um, it sounded like you've you'd uncovered a recording of Keysy doing the first draft of that Sean Bean advert. <laughs> and it's a no because sorry, we're going to have to get someone proper in to do this. Uh, Keysy was rubbish. Yep. Yep. Very good. Uh, multi-layered gripe from George Hall. There. Thank you for that. Next up comes from Sam. Now, his irritation hate is the specific way the close-ups cameraman run onto the pitch at full time and how close they get to their selected player, usually the man of the match. Chill out. Give them some space. It's the same thing every week. Um, Nick, I think this is one of the sort of things about sort of televised football that I guess we don't really kind of, we kind of just take for granted. It's just, just how irritating it must be to have a cameraman in your face, sort of rotating 180 degrees to see every side of your face as you walk off a pitch Usually, usually when something good happens, but often when something bad has happened too, uh, must be quite annoying. Players don't yeah, talk it, about it. It, it, it's, it. it feels like the, the, the subgenre of this where if there's been a contentious refereeing decision, which there always is, that when the manager comes onto the pitch and sort of approaches the referee, <laughs> you get this cameraman kind of circling them and goes like, saying, oh, what's he going to say? Is he going to say something rude to the referee? It's very oh. cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. If you've scored a hat trick, Dave, and you're walking off the pitch and you've got this camera in your face and you've got to do a little grin to the camera and say, or, or, I don't know, it's just, 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 Harry Kane's quite good at this sort of a sort of a sheepish kind of gesture to the camera saying, yep, done it, or whatever. But it's kind of new managers in their first game have a camera stuck in their face while they're stood in their technical area sort of surveying the game that's about to unfold. And they don't really know where to look. And they know that the camera will eventually pan round to hit the to hit hitting them square in the eye and they're gonna have to not look at it it's <laughs> the whole thing is just painful people don't realize how annoying it must be to be a football manager and this is one of the reasons it's quite a skill really i wonder if they get training in it from the clubs <laughs> whatever but like i'm certain that i've made this analogy before when this has come up in a different way in one of the podcasts but it is similar to when you're at a wedding Right, and you, you know the photographer is just doing the rounds in the reception, and you just it's <laughs> you r- the right standing right there, standing right there, and mm. all of you know that they're there. You can't look at the camera. Yeah. Do, do I sip the champagne? Do I <laughs> do I smile? Do I nod? Like you don't know what to do, and it's the same sort of thing. But it's like it's but it's obviously it's way more intrusive for because they're you know they're doing their job. Yeah. Whatever, and they know that it's on national television, and and another, you know, now you also now you've got the um, the spider cam at the yeah. a, a lot of the grounds, and there was a good example of this, like in game on Sunday at the Emirates. I think it was Gabriel Martinelli got injured and like got barged into the 
into the, mm. like the hoardings or something in the second half. And the, the spider cam just like zoomed right, it was right on top of his head. He was writhing in pain and there was this camera just Like he died of... on Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a, a, not, a sort of, I suppose, sort of slightly similar genre after the, the Cristan Ball game. Mm. Um, when uh, afterwards, Luis Suarez was... It was, he was in floods of tears. Oh yes! And he he pulled up his shirt over his head, mm. and Stephen Gerrard came over and kind of was kind of comforting him. Then a camera comes at him. Gerrard pushed the camera, did that thing where he put his yeah. uh, hand in the face of the it's camera, a brave and kind of job, isn't pushed it? it away. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Sometimes... it's like could, could have a bit of respect, guys. Come on, yeah. Come on. Yeah. He's, in, he, he's this is a sensitive moment. <laughs> Sometimes you do get. I mean, that that's obviously jackpot for for the mm. camera people. Wayne Rooney in the 2010 was it 2010 World Cup? Yeah, when he's like yeah. nice, isn't it? Your own fans booing you. Yeah. And that was Loro. Hi, Loro. And um, there was one in the last World Cup where Morocco's Nordin Amrabat. Mm. Um, <laughs> He did. He did like the VAR. He like spelt VAR. Oh yeah, with his finger. <laughs> VAR then, like, is bullshit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's amazing. It's, it's a portal to the rest of the world. Use it. Use it. They're yeah. not just. They're not just furniture. Use that cameraman. But we also, as I mentioned, that Liverpool season, we we wouldn't have got the this does not slip if it hadn't have been for one of these very intrusive cameramen just kind of sticking the camera in the mm. oh yeah when the you post can hear as well yeah that, yeah yeah that's the the inner circle quite literally of the huddle Liverpool yeah so they're do, they're doing a brave job they're like war reporters really you know frontline <laughs> cameramen uh, they're probably jackets. the same probably, they're probably <laughs> veterans from the Gulf War or something who are now in the Premier League saying yeah well it's pretty easy for me I was in a I was in Baghdad in 91, so yeah, fine. Final hatred of football comes from the most Keynesian name of all. This is Chris Garthwaite. My hate is the last five minutes of halftime when you're at the match. If you're chatting with friends, you've ran out of first half analysis by that point. If you bought a pint, you're drinking it far quicker than you would like. And even the on-pitch entertainment, the last refuge of the bald match goer, has come to an end. Just get the players back out on the pitch and save us from this hell. This is so, so good, Dave. The the concept of a 15-minute halftime is, is so cast iron. I mean, apparently, up in Scotland, it was 10 minutes for a bit, and they they sort of expanded it back to 15 quite recently as well, but that's by the by. 15 minutes of halftime is, and regardless of whether you're at the stadium or watching on TV, is such a very defined amount of time. First five, you, you're switched off. You, you're... You're kind of absorbing what has just happened. The next five, you're, that is smack bang. You are now absorbing the analysis of the first half, and you're and you're really reflecting on what's happened, and you're ready to go again. The the third five minutes of half time are bullshit, like complete <laughs> bullshit. Shouldn't exist. They are the most annoying five minutes of my life. And the whole situation is exacerbated by the fact that you can't get any phone signal. You can't get any 4G, so you can't even just idly scroll through Twitter or check the scores from the other games. Yeah, completely. And the the bit about the pints as well is just it's bang on the money because I don't believe that there's anyone that's ever had an enjoyable pint of beer in a football stadium in this country, especially <laughs> at halftime. Particularly at halftime. You can't... Because... Uh, I mean, I, I'm just very impressed that he's managed to get a pint within the 15 minutes of half time, and I think it's ever happened to me at a, a football game yeah. with any kind of any large crowd. Anyway, without getting up early, 
which is which kind of brings into a, that's a whole another thing of like how early is too early to get up for half time at what moment do you go are you still what you're still watching the game sort of as you gingerly go down the stairs and all that sort of thing and that last five minutes is where you really start to feel the cold in the winter months as well. It's like, can you just get the fuck on with it? Come on, out you come. And you look at your watch, This and this is crucial to the phenomenon, Dave. You'll look at your watch and it'll be like, it'll be 3.58. And you think, well, that's oh, two more minutes, but it won't be because there will be at like 4.03. Yeah, because they didn't, because oh, the game, they didn't go in Yeah, exactly. You, but you know that in your head. And you're yeah. sort of working out, going, well, I've got to allow a couple of minutes for the, for the injury time. And then, of course, they went back in again. And just, if you're, um, it made worse as well, if, if you're a season ticket holder, as I am at the moment, and I'm a I'm a new new season ticket holder for this season. So the relationship with the guy on my left is still in its early oh. stages, and we Ooh. can chat. We can chat about the game. We can have a little bit of well, what do you think about that and this. But it's different if you're with a mate, like a proper mate, or maybe with your dad or your son or daughter, whatever. Yeah, yeah you're not talking different. about the game in those last five minutes. You're no. talking about life. So well, yeah, I might go there on Tuesday actually. Yeah, but if you're with <laughs> someone with with someone who you don't know, it's just we well, just sort of have to just what do you do? Just both sort of stare into the distance. Yeah, I think I've had nothing enough left of it, to say. Really. Yeah, I think. Oh, well, yeah, it's difficult though because you don't want to hand your noticing because you you know stuff like that. But yeah, I'm thinking of doing something else. To be honest, that's uh, think, of the, very think of the think of the state. No, but this is the sort of thing. I de- the, the sort of conversations that definitely happen in the last five minutes of half times. Nick, it, it's moved away from football completely. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm done with her. To be honest. <laughs> it's it's a hell of a thing to launch. That's quite quite a big thing to launch into in the last last sort of few minutes of a, of a game it's like a, a former colleague once in in the space of a a lift journey in response to the question you're right mate he said uh yeah i think i'm gonna leave my wife that says jesus all right well uh, there isn't really time to finish this comp- conversation properly no absolutely not that's not a lift conversation but you could definitely you could definitely do it standing on the terraces uh, uh, 3.58pm no question about that Chris Garthwaite if there was such a thing you win entry of the month because that is absolutely fantastic the last five minutes of a half time break it also but it also feels like when you're maybe this is a, an indictment of my productivity levels but it feels like when you're watching a game at home it feels like it's not it, it, it's an amount of time that is just long enough to, you, to make you think you can complete a task yeah but it's not actually long enough to oh, you, complete that task. You're absolutely right. Try and do anything during half time yeah. of televised game. You will miss the start of the second half. And and, yeah, and that 100%. is that's the absurd time space continuum that is half time. It's too long, it's too short, nobody knows what to do with themselves. I had a <laughs> um I had a shower in half time of the oh, of the Super God. Sunday. Oh, <laughs> that's wow. ridiculous. The, the, the speed that you had how vigorously were you drying yourself at the end of this shower? Well, Gotta I get s- back. Gotta get back. I had to poke my head around the I had poked my head around the bathroom door, which is the next room to the TV, and I was, just, I was like, what, 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 "Are they going to be kicking off?" And we were in an ad break. It was brilliant. Oh, I can't believe it. I, I feel like I barely know you anymore. Anyway, um, but I do feel like I know our listeners a lot better after that. Thanks for allowing us to delve into your collective psyches. Uh, that was Mesut Harland Dix with the listeners for October. We'll be back probably not next month because of the old World Cup, but um, back soon. Thanks everyone for listening. See you next time. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.